Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside Sources with Boyd Matheson. All right, Boyd, out today. Marty Carpenter is sitting in his place. And we've been talking about a lot of the big issues going on in our country and our state as we speak. I want to get into this question on President Biden's mandate on private businesses. And one of the things that uh, kept popping up as I talked to business leaders initially, uh, not to mention some lawmakers, was, is this in any way legal and how creative did they had to did they have to get in order to uh make the announcement the way that they did uh since Prince, since president biden announced the vaccine mandate may have many have wondered just that question like does he actually have the power to do it um paul cassell a law professor at the university of utah joined dave and dujanovic this morning to discuss the legality of the mandate let's take a listen to one of his points The president's power to set conditions of federal employment is considerably greater than his power to regulate conditions of private employment. I think it's pretty clear his federal mandates are going to be upheld, but I think it's dubious whether his mandates for private businesses will ultimately be upheld. And that is the question, right? The president's power to set conditions of federal employment is certainly greater than his power to regulate private employment. That's where this gets a little bit sticky. Um, you know, and so it's not, it's relatively clear that his federal mandates will be upheld, but it's a little bit more dubious whether his mandates on private private businesses are going to uh, withstand the onslaught of pushback that they are likely to get. Uh, uh, Paul Cassell again explains why OSHA is not really designed for health issues. The president is using a law that's about 50 years old, the OSHA law, that really was not designed to cover vaccine issues. And so I think he's trying to fit a square peg into a round hole, as it's sometimes put, to use a law that wasn't really designed to cover this situation. This is not a situation where Congress has passed a law giving the president clear authority to set vaccine conditions. And so because there isn't clear presidential power or statutory authorization, I think the president is going to face an uphill battle in the courts when these mandates are reviewed. Yeah, when most of us think about OSHA, it's, you know, not getting carpal tunnel by typing too much, getting to take your regular breaks during work, um, those type of accommodations that come as as part of the mandates on business to to make, you know, what I think most of us have decided are, are good uh, to put in place things that are good for employees and ultimately good for businesses. But using OSHA to go find a way to mandate that businesses require vaccines, uh, you know, clearly a lot of legal experts are not so sure that that is something that's going to withstand 
the scrutiny that's going to come to it. So this is, uh, you know, as you mentioned, it's not a situation where Congress has passed a law and said, hey, go figure this out. Um, he's trying to work within authority that he's already been given, but we're not quite sure that this is that this meets that standard. Um, you know, Paul also questions whether the president's vaccine mandate will hold up in court when it's challenged. I think it's very questionable whether the president's mandate for private employers will ultimately be upheld in court. But it's going to take time for those judicial challenges to work their way through. And so maybe in the short term, as a practical matter, the mandate will be upheld. That's where I mentioned earlier in the show, you know, if you think about the Biden administration's motivation here, in part, they're and let's take them at their word. Obviously, we're going to just sort of say they can have many motivations. But part of their motivation is let's get more people vaccinated. And so if they make it mandatory, even if that's not going to hold up when it goes to court, how many people are going to go get a vaccine in the meantime? Uh, and how does that either save lives or help move the needle in the right direction? Uh, and then even if it's ultimately overturned and the courts will not uphold it, <laughs> You know, to some extent, they've they've made some advances that they wanted to make, even if they end up ultimately with a loss. Um, Paul also says that the state and local officials have long held the power to deal with uh, th- that they have long held the power to deal with public health issues. Uh, I think so there's this considerable question about whether the president can order a federal mandate in this area, but state and local authorities have often had the power to regulate health, and so. I think there's uh, more likelihood that we may see states stepping into this area, even if the federal government cannot. So that brings up the interesting question, what will happen if it is overturned? Will you see governors, um, probably more so governors in Democratic states uh, or more swing states that would say, yeah, I'm going to come out because I can. I have the authority to do this, even if the president uh, does not. Um, uh, Cassell also explained why the 100 employee limit was probably chosen. I think the 100-employee limit was designed to say that, uh, look, uh, for larger businesses, there's more of an interstate connection and there's uh, more ability to mandate things or to organize things like vaccine mandates than there is for smaller employers. All right. So that 100 limit, um, <laughs> to, to make it so that a business has, I guess, enough of a enough of an HR department, enough of a structure to implement this and deal with the... Uh, the burden that gets put on businesses by this. And as we mentioned earlier, sort of some interesting questions about well, what about businesses that are right around that hundred employee mark? You know, if you got, let's say you have 103 employees and four of them decide to heck with the mandate and walk off the job, you know, are you going to go hire uh, all of them back? Or are you going to say, eh, I'm going to stay at the 99 level to not come back? These are decisions that businesses have to make because they take on a regulatory burden with a mandate like this. They say, we, uh, who knows? Again, we've mentioned that the, the language of the mandate isn't really fleshed out. So uh, it's understandable that companies don't know what their HR response is to it. But what exactly do they have to do to track this, to report it? Uh, what do they have to do to document anything where someone would not be compliant to it? Uh, you know, these are all is- issues that businesses face. And anyone hovering around that 100 employee limit is potentially going to face a difficult decision, you know, depending on where they are on mandates generally and where their employees are. Uh, do I push this? Uh, do I want to take on this burden or do I want to uh, find my find my way under the 100 employee limit? Uh, really, really tricky situation when it comes to 
forcing this on businesses. And, you know, it brings up a bunch of other questions because there are employees. Uh, I, I think we default too quickly to uh, the idea uh, that there are people who uh, go get vaccinated and then everyone else is super anti-vaccination. And I think there, there are always gray areas between that black and white. And there are no doubt employees who, uh, for whatever reason, their doctors may have advised them that for their personal situation, they are not best positioned or they're not in a position where they would recommend that they get a vaccine. Um, there are others who, um, you know, may have uh, any number of health issues where a doctor would say, no, nah, you're not supposed to get this um, or you're better to hold off for right now. And while that may be a very small number, when when the president makes an announcement like this without a lot of these specifics, you get in a situation where companies say, well, how do I make a reasonable accommodation to my employees who are in this situation? Um, certainly we don't want to be in a position. I would say that even the federal government would probably not want you to be in a position where you have to fire someone because of it, um, that you'll have to make some accommodation. But every time you have to go make reasonable accommodation to an employee, that is in of itself another burden on business. The business is there to produce the products and provide the services. And they have to do that in a way, they certainly are benefited by by doing right by their employees. Uh, but it puts the businesses in a really tricky situation when a mandate comes down without the specificity that they need to go and advance it forward. All right, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, let's talk football. I heard there was a big game this weekend. Uh, we're going to talk about it. Back with more on Inside Sources after this. I'm Dave Cauley investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.